You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us now continue listening to the scriptures, turning to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings 17. And we read together this morning the verses 24 through to the end of the chapter. The first half of this chapter, the Lord reveals how, after many years of warnings and much patience, He finally brought the punishment of exile upon the northern tribes of Israel, and they were taken away by the king of Assyria. In the beginning in verse 24, the Lord teaches us what the king of Assyria did after that. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, The people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled, and they set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The men from Babylon made Succoth Benoth. The men from Kutha made Nirgal. And the men from Hamath made Ashima. The Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sephirvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adram-Melech and Anam-Melech, the gods of Sepharvaim. They worshipped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, Do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord, who brought you up 
out of Egypt with mighty power and an outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you shall bow down and to him offer sacrifices. You must always be careful to keep the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I have made with you and do not worship other gods. Rather worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. Let us then open to the book of Acts, chapter 8. The text for the preaching is the verses 5 through 8. Let us, however, begin our reading at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. The end of chapter 7 is about the stoning of Stephen at which Saul was also involved. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we open to the book of Acts. The full title of this book of the Bible is actually the Acts of the Ascended Christ through his apostles. It is true, of course, and we realize that Jesus Christ is not here upon this earth anymore. He returned to heaven. He's now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But from there, he's still busy here upon this earth. He's very active gathering and defending his church. And at this time, the time of Acts chapter 8, he is busy doing that through his apostles. But he did not always and only use his apostles. There are also times when he used others. And the verses of our text are such an occasion. The Lord, the ascended Christ, uses a man named Philip. We know from chapter 6 he was a deacon. But he was also a very active proclaimer, preacher of the gospel. 
And what the Lord makes clear in this passage is that He, the Son of God, has the power through His Holy Spirit to unite, to bring together people who have a whole stack of baggage between them. Political baggage, ethnic baggage, emotional baggage, and religious baggage. As we will discover this morning, brothers and sisters, the stack of baggage between the Jews and the Samaritans was formidable, but not too formidable for Christ. I bring you the word of God as follows. Through Philip, Christ gathers and especially that he unites his church in Samaria. We see in the first place who believed, secondly what they believed, and finally how they believed. The church in the city of Jerusalem was growing by leaps and bounds. At the beginning of this book of the Bible, Acts, the church was 120 people, but that number soon changed. By Acts chapter 4, we already read that the number is up at around the 5,000 mark and only growing from there. And the leaders of the Jews in Jerusalem, especially the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the members of the Sanhedrin, they looked at these developments and they said to each other, enough is enough. If we don't do something and do something soon to stop the rapid expansion of this Christian church, then the Christians are going to take over Jerusalem. And they would have nothing of it. And so, led by one of their prominent men, Saul, they started to severely persecute the church. And it must have been a difficult, indeed awful time for the Christians in Jerusalem. Imagine, never knowing which day or which night the soldiers sent out by the Sadducees were going to put a boot through your front door and take the family and lock them up in prison. That was the circumstance. But brothers and sisters, the ascended Christ, our Lord and Savior, has the power to take difficult, oppressive, yes, even sinful situations and turn them around to something good. Because already at the very beginning of this book, Jesus Christ, before he ascended, said to his disciples, this is how my kingdom will expand and grow. He said, you must first be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was step one. Then they had to go out into Judea and Samaria, step two, and then out to the ends of the earth, step three. To this point, the growth of God's church, even though it was growing rapidly, it had not gone beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And now it was time to begin step two. And so Christ from heaven on high 
uses this persecution, which of itself was sinful on the part of the leaders of the Jews, but he uses it to spread his people out far and wide through where? Acts chapter 8, verse 1, throughout Judea and Samaria. It is as if the good sower of the seed, the Son of God, reaches into his bag and broadcasts the Word of God throughout that region. Thousands, literally thousands of believers going around preaching the Word as they went. And one of them, the man named Philip, goes to a city in Samaria. In all likelihood, brothers and sisters, this is none other than the capital city of Samaria, which was also called Samaria. Just like you live here in the municipality or township of Langley, and you also have a city called Langley, it was the same there. An area of Samaria with the capital city named Samaria right in the middle of it. That is where Philip went. He went to the city. Don't skip over that detail. If you look through the whole book of Acts, it is remarkable how many cities are mentioned. Samaria, Damascus, Antioch, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, and we could go on and on. The book of Acts is literally full of major central cities in that whole area of the world. Obviously, since these are the acts of the ascended Christ, cities have an important part in Christ's plan for his kingdom. Why? In a city you have a major concentration of people, a lot of population in a few square miles. Also, in cities, you typically now, but also then, had major centers of learning, universities, colleges. That's where the youth are going. And if the gospel doesn't reach the youth, where's the future of the church? In cities, you also have typically a lot of travelers for business or tourism. They come and they go. And if they come and they go back home, if they receive the word, they can bring the word with them. It's not for no reason at all, brothers and sisters, that Christ concentrates on cities as he expands his kingdom. Are we still prepared to do God's work in the cities? You know, there are some downsides to living in a city. Houses are packed closer together. Sometimes your neighbors are almost right on top of you. Cities can be noisier compared to the peace and the quiet of the countryside. Cities can be dirtier. Garbage lying on the sidewalk. Smog in the air. And for all of these reasons and probably more, if people, also if God's people, have the opportunity 
They like to move out more to the edge of the suburbs, if at all possible, maybe even the countryside. An acreage is nice, isn't it? Undoubtedly, the countryside needs to hear the Christ. But what about the cities, brothers and sisters? Are we, as God's people, still prepared to expand the kingdom in the cities of our area? What of Vancouver? What of the city of Richmond? What of the city of Surrey? What of the city of Langley? As the urban areas grow, brothers and sisters, as they have been for years and decades already, starting in Vancouver, but you all know it's coming more and more this direction. Surrey's not the same place that it was 15, 20 years ago. Langley is not the same place it was 15 or 20 years ago. And the changes are not going to stop yet. It's going to continue. Where are God's people going to go? Are we all going to go to Hope? And when hope becomes a city, are we all going to go to merit? Do we walk away from the cities? Or, brothers and sisters, are we prepared to do God's work also in those concentrated, sometimes noisy, and sometimes smoggy areas? Well, Philip certainly did not avoid the cityscape he went straight for it. And not only that, but he went to the city of Samaria, which was a bold thing, to say the least. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, when he was walking, preaching upon this earth, he also at one time went to the area of Samaria, to a place called Sychar, sat down, by a woman at the well. And she could not believe, you remember that? The Gospel of John. She could not believe that Jesus, a Jew, would actually speak to her, a woman, and a Samaritan woman at that. Because she said, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. They don't talk to them. They don't greet them on the street. They avoid each other. And there's a lot of history there's a lot of baggage behind this tension that was literally so thick in the air you could cut it with a knife between Jews and Samaritans. There were ethnic reasons for this. As we read in Second Kings chapter 17, if there was a multicultural city in the area, it was Samaria. Years before this, the king of Assyria had brought people from all over the known world. Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Sepharvaim. He'd taken all these different people with all their different languages and dialects, with all their different traditional clothing, with all their different favorite foods and cuisine, with all of their culture. He had taken them and put them together in that city, Samaria. Thrown them all together. And over the years and centuries, undoubtedly there was some intermarriage and the cultures melted together, at least to some degree. 
But also there were certain cities, as we read in that area, that were predominantly from the people from Babylon, or the people who came from Hamath had their own little place, a melting pot that only melted so far. By contrast, the Jews, at least so much as they could, they wanted to remain pure Jews. Jews were to marry Jews to children and grandchildren. And that's why the Jews looked down at the Samaritans. They're just a mixed race. We, they said, we are the pure Jews here in Jerusalem. And likewise, the Samaritans looked down on the Jews because they found them terribly haughty. Those were the ethnic differences. There were also political barriers, stumbling blocks. You may remember when the Jews of Jerusalem came back to their city from Babylon, the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. They were charged to rebuild the temple. They wanted to rebuild their city with all the walls around it. And so they were busy with all of this reconstruction. But then it was, guess who? The Samaritans, who stirred up the political pot with the emperor of Persia and made it so that there were delays and obstructions to the rebuilding project. And the Jews, brothers and sisters, they never forgot what those Samaritans did. In fact, some years later, one Jew named John of Hyrcanus gathered together some of his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. They marched to a city in Samaria, Sebaste, and there was one of the temples of the Samaritans, and they razed the thing. They, they destroyed it right to the ground, burned it, and they went back home to Jerusalem. Well, you can be sure that the Samaritans never forgot that. The grudges over the years because of past events. There was also an enormous religious difference between the two. They even had a different Bible. Samaritans only had the first five books, the book of Moses. The Jews had the whole Old Testament. The Samaritans had all kinds of different religions. The Babylonian religion, the Sepharvaim religion, the Hamath religion. All of these religions kind of mixed together with what the Lord taught His people in the Old Testament. So it was really a hodgepodge of all kinds of religions put together. And the Jews of Jerusalem looked down upon that. Ethnic baggage, historical, political baggage, religious differences. Humanly speaking, brothers and sisters, you would say, Why does Philip bother? Why does Philip bother of all the places that he could go to go there? The stack of obstacles and barriers that have been there for literally centuries is so high, humanly speaking, you would say it's doomed to fail before it even starts. But you see, Philip doesn't go by the human perspective. He goes by the command of the ascended Christ. Christ said, before he went to heaven, Jerusalem, 
then Judea and Samaria. Christ had put the circumstances on their path. Now was the time to move out into Judea and Samaria. They were being pushed out of Jerusalem. And so Philip, humbly following the command of Christ, goes to the city where the walls of differences seem insurmountable. And lo and behold, what happens? Is it a failure? No. Jesus Christ from heaven on high breaks down all of those barriers. Ethnic, political, religious. One by one, Christ dismantles the dividing wall. And lo and behold, Jews, a Jew like Philip, and Samaritans are being united in one church. Yes, it's just the beginning, brothers and sisters. It's just the beginning. But the start is there. Never underestimate the power of Jesus Christ. There are situations and circumstances in our lives, perhaps within this congregation, differences that have come up over the years, walls that have been erected, between a certain brother and another brother, between a sister and a sister, between a certain group within the congregation and another group. It's not unknown that these things happen. There can also be barriers that are set up right within families because of differences, because of past history, past hurt, wounds that just don't seem to heal. Sometimes it even goes to marriages. And brothers and sisters, you can look at it humanly speaking and say it's hopeless, it's useless. Why even bother? Those walls have been standing there for so many years. There's no way they're going to come down. Be realistic after all. Do we still believe in the same Christ who acted in Acts chapter 8? Christ has not changed, brothers and sisters, have we? The Son of God has the power to break down ancient or even more recently erected barriers. He's demonstrated it time and time again. But lest we think that the Lord Jesus Christ is just going to one day miraculously and suddenly topple the barriers that can come between us, let us look carefully at what these Samaritans believed. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, please note, they all paid close attention to what he said. Jesus Christ, through Philip, was doing amazing miracles, healing miracles. But the Holy Spirit does not say that they paid close attention to that. Undoubtedly, they did. 
But what comes front and center is that they all paid close attention to what he said. Literally translated it is, they listened to Philip with a common passion. Brothers and sisters, they weren't just standing there in the city square of Samaria, kind of all ho-hum, giving half an ear to what Philip had to say. Some looking off into space, others looking at what was going on in the marketplace. No, with a common, united passion. Their ears were big, their hearts were open, they were hanging on every word that Philip said. Philip preached the Christ, verse 5. He proclaimed the Christ there. You see, it was not Philip who managed to somehow bring down these ancient barriers. It was the proclamation of the Christ. It was the gospel. It was the good news of forgiveness for sins through the death and resurrection of the Son of God. The Christ is no different than the Word, for the Christ is the Word. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the Word, the Gospel, the Bible. Philip did the same when he preached the Christ, for there is no discrepancy, no contradiction between the two. Again, brothers and sisters, let us here take the Word of God and apply it directly to ourselves. Why is it that the barriers are built up? Why is it that the walls of differences are erected? Well, brothers and sisters, if we have a passion to make our own point, if we have a passion to defend our own personal opinion, come what may, no matter how high the water gets or how hot the fire becomes, I'm going to stick to my personal opinion. I'm going to make sure that my point and my pride are not affected. Then the walls go up. That's why the walls had been going and building between the Jews and the Samaritans for years on end. But now something changes. Now instead of having a passion to defend their pride, they had a passion to simply listen to the preaching of the Word. Do you have that passion? We all come here, whole heart, half a heart. Brothers and sisters, are our ears still big for the gospel? Or have we grown so accustomed to it that, well, we kind of listen a little bit. Brothers and sisters, when we have a passion, a common passion, to listen to the Christ, to the ascended Son of God, and what He promises us, what He speaks to us, then through that listening, 
with big ears and big open hearts. Christ, through His Spirit, works His wonders of uniting people who may have for years stood opposed to each other. And lest it be thought that such a union is a difficult, onerous, burdensome kind of thing, the Lord teaches us that it's really a joyful thing. There was great joy in that city of Samaria. Why? Well, you say, look at what was happening. People who were oppressed by demons, evil spirits, suddenly they were released. Years of oppression and misery, suddenly gone. Wouldn't you be happy? Paralytics. Perhaps there was someone there who had a stroke, couldn't move his arm like he wanted to. And then he's healed. He could move his arm for the first time in five years. Perhaps there was someone crippled, could not walk, maybe even from birth. Suddenly the cripples were healed, and they walk again for the first time in years, maybe even for the very first time in their life. Wouldn't you be full of great joy? But notice that the Holy Spirit says that all of these miracles, verse 6, are miraculous signs that Peter did. Signs. They pointed to something. They pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ was active in the city of Samaria. Jesus himself had been in that area before, in the town of Sychar. If you read it in the Gospel of John, you will notice that the Samaritans begged. They pleaded with Jesus to stay there for a while. But Jesus said, I have to go back to the land of Israel. He stayed there for two days, two short days, and then that was it. He had to go back. Well, brothers and sisters, now through those miraculous signs, those very same miraculous signs that while Jesus was on earth, He did in Nazareth, He did in Jericho, and all over Israel. Now He's doing them in Samaria. And Samaria rejoices, not just because people were being healed, but because it was so obvious that the Christ was working among them. He was back. Not physically present, but through His power and Spirit, He was there working in that city. That was the ultimate reason for their great joy. Brothers and sisters, there are times when we would love to have a little miracle in our lives. An oppression or affliction suddenly lifted, gone. Paralytics, cripples, other serious illnesses, gone. Well, we may have to wait. One day the ascended Christ will wipe away on His great day all oppression, all affliction, all physical disease, all physical, mental, handicap. Jesus Christ will wipe it all away on His great day of His return. We may have to wait for that. But in the meantime, brothers and sisters, we have the greatest joy of all that Christ through 
admittedly different signs, but signs nonetheless. Here they are. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Two signs. You have them here in this congregation as Christ's own visible indication to you that He's at work here in your presence. And that, brothers and sisters, no matter how much difficulty and misery we have to go through, that is the ultimate joy. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.